Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Tuesday, May the 29th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and also over at The Grueling Truth, our friends over at The Grueling Truth, which is part of the iHeart Radio Network. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Day. Last time we spoke was on WLIE, 540 a.m. on Sunday night, and quite a bit has gone on. Wild doubleheader for the New York Mets yesterday. And why am I coming to you after Memorial Day? Well, I didn't have a chance to really, and it was an odd weekend, do the podcast because the Mets had the late game, late-ish game uh, against Milwaukee at 2 o'clock on Sunday then I had the WLIE appearance, and then there was the doubleheader yesterday. Normally, I would have said, okay, Mets play an early game on Monday. I'll do something right after. But then there's the day-night doubleheader, and the second game doesn't start till 10 o'clock. So, and I was a big critic of this. I was like, what the heck is MLB doing? What are the umpires doing? Are the Braves trying to uh, coax uh, a sneaky little five-inning game? Because the weather just looks so bad. The forecast, and uh, they got the game in. Uh, and I'm, I'm, truthfully, I stayed up till the sixth inning. I did watch uh, the highlights of the last few innings this morning, so I'm fully aware that the Mets won Game Two, eight to five. Uh, watched the first game, glory, and uh, we're here to talk about it. I did have a chance over the weekend to catch up with Michael Mayer, our friend uh, Michael Mayer of Mets Marized Online, Mets Miners. Prospects 1500, and it was a tough weekend to get a guest because I'm, you know, it's holiday weekend. I had the the WLIE performance to 
you know, kind of figure that out. That's not just Mets. And I said, by the time you get this on Tuesday, what could have some meat and potatoes? Because I knew the doubleheader was so important. I know this series against the Braves is so important. So what can I do? Well, Michael was kind enough to spend some time to talk about the farm system because I think that is going to be an important part of everything right now. You saw that yesterday with the doubleheader. The Mets, uh, and right now the starting pitching, the lack of starting pitching depth, I think is becoming an issue. Obviously the bullpen, the shuffle that's going on, what's the right mix? What do the Mets have down there? Not only what do the Mets have down there to help them in 2018, but this is kind of Memorial Day. It's our first check-in point, as I said on Sunday when I was on the, the radio. It's our first check-in point with the big league clubs. Uh, hey, where's this team at? How do they look? What can they get? Why not do it with the minor league clubs, too? Because, you know, that's a big part of everything. And, and you, you spend the first five, six weeks, you really you know who the big prospects are. Who's emerging? Mets required a bunch of relievers at the end of the deadline last year. How are those guys doing? Is there anybody else up that's getting on the radar? Michael talks to scouts. He he does great work over at Mets Miners and Mets Morized Online. So you'll hear that interview. I had a chance to catch up with him late Saturday night. So just keep that in mind. But I don't really think it has a a heck of a lot to uh, to do with uh, with the Mets because we were talking about the minor league system. Not a heck of a lot has changed in, in 48 hours. But a lot changed in 48 hours. And look, I said this on Sunday, and I'll say it again. This stretch coming up Brewer, uh, right after the Brewers series, Braves, Cubs, then you have the Yankees. I know you have some road games against Colorado and Arizona. This is going to be an uncomfortable stretch for this New York Mets club, even if they were completely – firing on all cylinders and completely healthy because this is a tough stretch. You're playing in some environments that aren't very conducive. The Braves, I don't know what the Braves are going to, they certainly are a plucky team and they certainly are a talented team. But like I, I've said on Twitter with both the Braves and the Phillies, it's a long season. Talk to me in August. Tell me how they are. Let me see how they go through some of the ebbs and flows of the season because their valley will come. Everybody's does as you, as Mets fans have learned after a, a nice start. And talk to me then. Let's see how they, they, they stay strong. You saw some of the good and the bad of the Braves as well over the two games on Memorial Day. So it was going to be uncomfortable. It's doubly going to be uncomfortable because it's critical. Because right now the Mets are kind of hanging in this muck. And believe it or not, as you look at the standings here on Tuesday morning, the 29th, the, the, the Braves, the Phillies, and the Nationals are three games ahead of the Mets in the loss column in the National League East. Uh, the, the Cubs and teams like the Cardinals are a couple, two to three games ahead. So there's this muck, and the Mets are falling to the, the back of the muck. And that's what I talked about on Sunday. Stay in the muck. Stay with everybody. Get in the tournament. You know, obviously, after you started 11-1, and one, that wasn't the way you wanted things to go. You wanted this to be a team that kind of went out there, won series, stayed at the top of the division, was the cream of the crop. And this stretch this month, at least temporarily, assured us that they – are going to be right there with everybody else. You know, they're going to be battling it out in this, what I like to call this wild card division muck because nobody's jumped forward. You know, the difference between the National League and the American League, if you look, and I, I mentioned it a little on Sunday on the on the radio program, is that in the American League, you clearly have two or three, four teams at the top. You have a couple of teams leading the wild card. Then you have a lot of teams that are really not all that good now. You could say that the American League has the best teams in baseball, and that's a fair argument with Houston and the Yankees and the Red Sox right there. Uh, but can you also say the National League has more parity? And I've been talking about this for a while 
where you know teams like the Brewers and the Mets and the Cubs and the Phillies right now and the Braves all even if you want to rack and stack them, I don't think there's a big difference despite what the media says. So anyway, the Mets did show me something on Monday and in a day that I really felt at, at one point, especially after P.J. Collin had that tough third inning, that I was going to come on here and really talk about, you know, I, I was going to go back in, in history there and look at the NBA and Memorial Day. I mean, the Met, the, the, there's been some odd Memorial Days that, You've uh, you've experienced here in New York. I always remember the, the the Patrick Ewing one point game in the '94 Eastern Conference Finals. I think that happened on uh, Memorial Day week, and the the Lakers getting blown out. Memorial Day massacre, they called it by the the, the Boston Red Sox back in the '85 Finals. And you could go on and on and on, and 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 really, it's just to have some I guess artistic license or fun out there. But it was looking bad, and it was looking like I was going to come on here and really say, look. You know, we're at DEFCON, you know, what, three or whatever it may be, and the Mets really need to start getting this going and need to win a ball game. And they st- and look, they have a golden opportunity over the next couple of nights with Steven Matz and Noah Syndergaard to, to make something out of this series, win this series, the very worst split. I'd like, I'd like to see a team right now, despite the fact that they don't have Cespedes and Frazier, and I think that that, even though they're scoring runs, plays a lot into – how close to the vest they have to play each and every day, which I'll get into in a minute, is part of the reason why I think everyone's so frustrated with this team. Um, you know, even without those guys, I think you have to go out there and try to put the hammer down. You got to send a message to the Brave. They're very giddy. Uh, you know, you get a home run in the first game with a Charlie Culberson. I just felt really lousy about that at bat because Gary Cohen kept talking about how he hasn't hit a home run since 2016 and. And he had hit a, a long, loud foul strike a uh, couple of pitches before Lugo. Lugo was was leaving a lot of pitches up in that ninth, and um, you know, you, you see the Culberson home run, and you're like, nothing goes right, nothing goes right, and and then they got PJ Conlon in the second game, and you're like, there's no way he's going to be able to navigate this plucky Braves lineup. It's a solid lineup. They got a lot of guys that, that come after you. They're a little like the Kansas City Royals, the kind of approach they have from a couple of years ago. You know, guys that make a lot of contact come after you, a lot of energy. And that's the thing. The Mets are going to have to match the energy of a team like the Braves and the Phillies. And, and with Murphy coming back in Washington, we'll see how that thing uh, continues to develop. But um, the thing I was going to say is because the Mets and DeGrom with his 11 starts where he's 5-6, and six, not him, but the team is 5-6, and six, falls right into this, is that they really don't have those tack-in runs. You, you see the first inning, they, they score a run. They don't get two, three runs. You even saw it in the second game early on. Now, there was a little bit of bad luck where Reyes lined the ball down the line that was basically an inch foul. I think it was the third inning that would have played it maybe a couple of runs there. But they get a run, they get two runs. They don't really have the beginning. And, and then the times where they do, like on Sunday, the pitching just falls apart. So... You know, that's where when you get Cespedes and Frazier back, you hope that that changes. Because I like Jose Bautista. I think he could be a good component player. Uh, I think you're starting to see some of the guys. Adrian Gonzalez has been hitting uh, all along. Uh, you go up and down here. You know, Conforto's coming around. Uh, you know, you got um, uh, Brendan Nimmo has been everything you could ask out of a leadoff hitter. Devin Mezzarocco with another big home run yesterday. I think Kevin Plowicki is going to be a huge upgrade offensively over Thomas Nitto. 
uh, Nito. I always say these guys, some of these guys' names are wrong. Um, so I, I'm not really worried about the offense. I know Flores went down, but let's face it, Flores was Flores to me. If he doesn't play first base and he doesn't hit lefties at a high level, which he really wasn't doing, I'm not sure there's a lot of value for him on the roster because he's a horrible defensive player. He really is. How can I forget Cabrera in the season he's had, which he's probably playing a little bit over his head, and that's going to come back down to earth. But when that does, uh, you know, you hope that you, um, you know, you see Cespedes and, and Frazier and Conforto kind of ascend, and, and then he levels out Cabrera a little bit. And let's not forget Rosario with the, the three RBI night, and he's starting to swing the bat a little bit. And I made the comparison last week, and I think a lot of people watch as he plays. I'm not going to say he's this kind of hitter will develop into this kind of hitter, but he has a little bit of a uh, Alfonso Soriano in that swing. So, But the problem right now is you have a team that, that I think because they don't have two key components to the lineup, and because the lineup, even though they quote-unquote have depth, there's a real drop-off and when you have, you know, you go from Frazier to Jose Reyes at third base. Um, you know, when you don't have Adrian Gonzalez, who's had, who's had actually a halfway decent year, league average, but a halfway decent year, uh, you know, you you, you kind of go out there, and um, you know Jay Bruce defensively is 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 not uh, at the same caliber, and Jay Bruce has been bad. I mean, Jay Bruce, I don't know if it's the plantar fasciitis, maybe you got the big contract, and he's trying to live up to that. There's a lot of factors there, but Jay Bruce has been bad, and uh, that's something that when Cespedes come back comes back, will be interesting to see how they address. So they play close to the vest. Bad things are going to happen. Like you saw with with Lugo, you couldn't get that extra run or that extra insurance run. And, uh, you know, I saw a lot of anger after the first game. I mean, I know that during this bad stretch, I believe the Mets have been 8-16 and going into the second game of the doubleheader after a 17-9 start. So they've been pretty bad. There's the the mocking of Callaway and the anger and let's fire Callaway. You you even got people talking about bringing Terry Collins back. I mean, come on. Here's what I'll continue to tell you about Callaway. And... You, you, you know, I'm not saying I agree with every move he's made, but yesterday he went in to this doubleheader with a plan. And that plan was to have Familia pitch one game and Lugo pitch another game. And then if he, you know, they didn't get the full seven innings out of DeGrom, they were going to mix and match. It's a very rigid plan. He did not, and, and actually, I believe it was Kevin Kernan wrote about this in the New York Post, where one of the learning curves that Callaway may have to, uh, you know, may have to have have a little bit here is starting to look at situations, taking his plan on paper and adjusting because the eye showed you yesterday that Lugo really didn't have it in that ninth inning. I mean, when Swanson hit that liner that he just missed lining a ball into the gap, you probably had to take a look and say, okay, you know, he doesn't have it right now. What do we do here? And I really think you needed that first game. Yes. You don't want to just throw everything in the kitchen sink, bring, Familian and, and what happens if he gets a bad hop and blows a save, which he blew a save a week earlier against the Marlins. And then now you used all your bullets, for lack of a better word, and now you're going into the second game. But the the plan, which I found surprising, is you never want to punt on a game. But with P.J. Conlon starting the second game, the threat of rain, the, the game might even be getting rained out, a 10 o'clock start, nothing was in the favor of the Mets. So you look at your plan and you say, how can I adjust? And Callaway really hasn't done that. The funny part is Terry Collins had no plan. Dan Worthen had no plan. They just went out there, and they kind of just, okay, let's see where this thing goes. There's at least a structure and a plan here with this guy, and maybe the rigid nature of it is what bothers you, but I'll take that. 
I really will take that. Uh, you know, the other part of this, how the players you know play for him and how he manages his clubhouse. Well, you got a positive sign here in game two, and the thing that I'm looking for about this club that was missing last year, and even to a certain degree in 2016, even though they made the playoffs, is are they going to just lay down and let this thing slip away because it's getting hard and because things aren't going their way? When a, a guy that has not hit a home run in two years beats you, and he beats you because he's a big league hitter and because Lugo threw one, left one out, out over the plate. I mean, that's going to happen. I mean, these are big league hitters. You know, they could have easily packed in that second game. Easily. You know, Conlon gets clocked. And believe it or not, a guy who I don't care a lot for, Ansel Robles, turns out to be uh, a really uh, key component to winning game two. They grind that one out. What you saw in game two was that grinded out win that this team needed. This team needs to do more often. And that's how they're going to keep themselves in this muck and move to the front of this wild card division mess and be there all year. Because if they don't, they can't sit around and just say they're going to wait for Cespedes and, and Frazier. And I'm not suggesting that because that's the kind of nonsense that they would have done on the Collins. Well, we're stuck in a half club, and they got to do it now. they got to start now. they got two very winnable games. Yeah, two winnable games against the Braves. It's not going to be easy. You have Matt who's coming around. You have uh, Syndergaard. And I know that the Braves seem to you know, have figured him out. And other teams are starting to figure him out a little bit with – you know, zoning in on the fastball, but they need to jump on this now. They can't just keep losing three, four, five out of six. They can't win three in a row, lose three in a row. They got to start making some progress here. They have to take something really positive away from that second game and say, okay, we stabilized this thing. The thing was getting ugly. They had lost four in a row. They had lost some heartbreaking games, and that's part of it. I don't, I don't buy into what a lot of people will say where, well, the next day's pitcher could wipe out a bad loss. It can for a few innings, but when that bullpen, which has struggled, comes in, you're not going to tell me that's not in the back of everyone's mind. The minute somebody gets on base, like, oh, here we go again. That's why anybody who talks about bullpenning and how throwing a pitcher in the first inning versus the ninth inning, it's just the same thing. And then statistically, it helps out because, you know, it's a half a run or whatever the hell more data they have that teams will score early in the game versus late in the game. Well, the reason they score less late in the game is because the, the, the odds are uh, at stake, the stakes are higher, um, you, 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 you're a little bit more pressure, and yeah, they, that, there's a reason why that happens, not just by accident. So you can't flip that script by just changing the picture because it's still going to be the same thing. The, you know, the stakes are higher, the pressure's on. If you fail in a late game at bat, it's a lot different than when you leave the bases low in the first inning. It hurts, and I know everything in a vacuum looks the same, but... You know, that it, it's not the same, and, and that's the case. So anyway, my message here before we get to Michael Mayer, and I do want to hear a little bit of what he has to say, say because depth, let's talk about this current team, is going to be a big part of it. My message here is this. The Mets have the help coming. It looks like both, both at least Frazier will be back by Monday, and Cespedes shouldn't be back much later after that. Hopefully they're healthy. Hopefully they stay healthy. That will add a ton of length to this lineup. And uh, I think they're going to be okay offensively. They were just so bad. I mean, everybody's so historically below their norms. Do I have some concerns about them against lefties? Sure. It seems like soft tossers and breaking ball pitchers really bother them. That's something to keep an eye out for. Um, 
you know, maybe part of that is the approach where they, they, they're very patient and against pitchers where they should maybe wait to late in the count. They're waiting to late in the count, but that's a whole separate story, whole separate examination for another day. So big win, second win of the doubleheader. A lot of work to do. I think, listen, my thing is this. I'm not going to cry and complain. I'll leave you with this. I'm not going to cry and complain if they split the next couple of games. They certainly can't lose both of them. Uh, but it really would show me a lot if they could take the next two games and really wipe away the stench of that first game of the doubleheader and go into the Cubs series, a big weekend series, four-game series, and really go there on a high, having won two uh, win a, a big second game of the doubleheader in, in adverse conditions and then win two more from the Braves and put them back on their heels a little bit. They're too giddy right now. But anyway, that's uh, that's where we're at. So let's sit back, take a quick break. When we return, you'll hear my conversation with Michael Mayer from this past weekend as we look at the Mets farm system and do our first check-in on how everybody's doing and some of the top prospects and what kind of help the Mets could expect in both the near and the long term. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMariahDawnline.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and also the grueling truth over uh, at the iHeartRadio network. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. And it's a great time to start checking into the Mets uh, minor league system, see what's going on. We're about eight weeks into the minor league season. And uh, especially after uh, the loss uh, earlier today, I know that uh, everyone's going to want to hear what kind of pitching options the Mets have uh, over in the minor league levels. Joining me, Michael Mayer, Metsmerized Online, uh, Mets Miners, and uh, who better to talk about this kind of stuff? Mike, uh, welcome to the program. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me aboard. All right. So the big question everyone's going to have uh, after this uh, dreadful loss earlier today, Mets uh, giving up 17 runs, a doubleheader coming in on uh, Memorial Day on Monday. <laughs> what kind of arms do the Mets have here? Uh, it's getting rough on those Jason Vargas starts, and uh, you know they're going to need to shuttle some other arms at some point. So, you have anything in the minors? Do you have any good news for Mets fans out there listening? Uh, <laughs> there's not a ton of good news because um, Corey Oswalt was put on the DL yesterday with uh, a lat issue, um, so he was kind of one of the guys they were figuring for Monday and. Beyond, if you needed, if you were thinking about bumping Vargas, Oswald was probably probably the top candidate. He's uh, 
he pitched well in the limited major league time and he pitched good in spring. He pitched very good for the Mets this spring. And uh, I definitely think he, he was a guy who was probably going to throw some innings Monday and down the road. Uh, we'll, we'll see how uh, actual, I mean, uh, how big this injury is, if it's a long-term thing or not, but uh, that's definitely a big hit because he's, he was the next starter in line. And then we saw Flexen today and uh, I know Flexen struggled, but uh, you have to remember Flexen hadn't pitched in 12 days for whatever reason. We can get more into that later if we want to talk about Callaway and how he's used the bullpen recently. But uh, Flexen, Flexen has pitched well this year. He's looked better than he had last year. Um, he's, he's a long-term option. Obviously, he's not an option for Monday now after pitching today. Um, the guy I think we'll probably see on Monday is P.J. Conlon. He, uh, he's actually lined up. That's when his next scheduled start was for Vegas. So and he's on the forty man. So I think I think he's the guy we see Monday try to give them at least, I mean three or four innings. Um, he looked uh, he he looked solid through his first time through the order when he pitched the, against the Reds in his major league debut. And I I think he can be that guy that gives you um, three or four solid innings. Um, beyond that, um, my favorite one of my favorite. Pitching prospects for the Mets in the upper minors is uh, Nabil Krismat. Um, he's having a good year at Double A. Doesn't throw hard. Tops out like 91, but he's got a plus plus changeup. Uh, throws a ton of strikes, and he's he's done well against some tough lineups this year. So, I mean, between Krismat and Conlin, I think those are the two next guys we'd be looking at after uh, Oswald's injury and. Flexing not being able to go after pitching today. Mike Mayer joining us. You can check him out at Metsmorized Online, Mets Miners. He's also part of Prospects uh, 1500. And uh, you mentioned a bunch of those uh, names. And, uh, you know, go back. Actually, I'm on Prospects 1500. You contributed to the top 50 uh, prospects for the Mets. And you guys put them into multiple tiers, with tier one being, you know, high level players. you know, we'll get into the bullpen and stuff like that, like you said. But, you know, eight weeks in, I guess Peter Alonzo would be that name that I see popping into that tier one. You had nobody that you thought would be tier one, all-star level kind of player. That's that's what you guys put tier one. Tier two, Mets had a number of players, uh, Flexen being one of those that, that you mentioned just before – with above average, you know, solid contributor type of players. But has that changed now? We're Memorial Day. Has anything changed in your eyes where maybe the Mets have a tier one or one or two players that are leaning or or pointing towards that tier one and, and being more of an impact type of player? Well, I think I think the Mets fans have gotten some good news in that regard. I mean, uh, about half hour before I got on the phone with you, Peter Alonzo just hit another home run, a two-run game winner in the eighth inning to give him 14 on the season, which ties him for the minor league lead right now, I believe. So um, depending on who you talk to, Keith Law said he, when he updates his top 100, that Alonzo will most likely be in it. And uh, some other guys, uh, I know a writer from Baseball Prospectus has mentioned that 
he could see him even creeping into the top 50 prospects in baseball. So I think, I think Alonzo is definitely, uh, he's a tier one guy now. And, uh, the Mets, the Mets have an interesting uh, issue with him because they have to figure out what to do. Um, we can talk about that more later too. Cause I want to talk about, uh, Andres Jimenez, who for me is another tier one guy. Um, He's still only 19 and playing in the Florida State League, and he's hitting almost 300 right now and second in the league in stolen bases and playing a great shortstop. And I know one people don't see – when they see him, they don't see a lot of flash, but when I talk to coaches from last year to this year, he – it's a lot of his skill set is on instincts. They've – They've never seen 18, 19-year-old kid have the instincts that he has, not just on defense, but offense, base running. He is uh, hes definitely, I mean, he, he's the Mets' top prospect, according to most people, and he was in a couple of top 100 season Baseball America's top 100 right now. Um, so I definitely think he's a guy to keep an eye on, too. And, and he uh, could be David a tier one in... You mentioned, though, you know, the instincts. Before we get to Peterson, you mentioned the instincts. That's an interesting point because uh, John Harper was talking to Tim Nairing, and they were comparing, I guess, Gleyber Torres to Rosario. And Torres, the the feedback that he's gotten, and and we've obviously seen that in a small sample size of his brief time with the Yankees, is that he sees the game in in a way that you can't teach – whereas Rosario's learning the game. It sounds like Jimenez has some of those instincts. Maybe I'm not comparing him to Torres, of course, but in, in, in the Mets are looking him in the same vein as, as maybe the Yankees looked at Torres when he was going up through the system. Oh, no, I, I totally understand that. Um, be, because they both play shortstop, they're both super young at the levels that they played at. You, you already get people asking about and comparing Jimenez and Rosario. And while I, I, I don't think Jimenez has probably the all-around ceiling um, that Rosario has, he, he's, he's different in the sense that he's, he's, a, he's more polished than Rosario was at that age. Um, like, like I said, the instincts, um, just the, the small things that come into play that, like you said, we've seen with Rosario, whether it's him being very fast, but not a, a great base runner. Um, that's something with Jimenez. Jimenez isn't as fast as Rosario, but he's already stolen more bases than Rosario did in the minor leagues at that time. So it's it's one of those things, like you said, where instincts do come into play, and it it's rare for a 19-year-old to have um, what Jimenez has on the field, and that's it. It makes it coaching easier for the coaching, and it makes it easier to work on certain things like uh, plate discipline and um, the stuff on defense. So I think, I think that's a big step. That's a big thing for him and as going forward that he, he has um, a step up on some younger guys that don't at that same age. David Peterson, Justin Dunn, Anthony Kay. These are names, pitching prospects that we've heard before uh, for various uh, reasons, uh, you know, maybe fans and maybe pundits have soured on them a little bit. Each is having an interesting year so far. And again, I'm not trying to say that the Mets farm system that has been criticized or, or been uh, described as somewhat barren is, you know, upper echelon, but maybe it's not as bad as, as we think. And, 
you could always use starting pitching. You could always use starting pitching depth. We just talked about it. They need it for Monday. I'm not saying those guys are going to help them on Monday, but maybe there's some hope that you could get those three, four, five starters. I'm not talking about them being number ones or number twos, Syndergaard, DeGrom types, but um, is there some hope? Are you seeing some positives where these could be contributing solid mid to back end of the rotation starters in the near future, the next two years maybe perhaps? Oh, absolutely, and specifically with um, Peterson and uh, Peterson and Kay, like you mentioned, um, Peterson, his last three starts, has gone seven innings each start, which, I mean, obviously that's a pretty big deal these days when that's just, I mean, major league level even, that's unheard of. And he's only given up two earned runs in that span, so... He's got a one nine one ERA for Columbia. Um, first round pick last year. He's not your typical. I mean, he's not a big overpowering guy. He's ninety two, ninety three with his fastball, good breaking ball, good command, and gets a ton of ground balls. So I mean, like before the season even started, Keith Law was talking about him. He's the type of guy that could finish in Double A this year, and I completely agree with that. Whether he does or not is up to the Mets, obviously, but. I see him in the next month definitely getting promoted to Port St. Uh, St. Lucie Mets. And then a couple of starts that you go from there, he could absolutely finish in double A. So that's kind of what the Mets had in mind when they drafted him. They thought he was going to be a fast mover. So that's definitely something to look out for and be hopeful for how well he's pitching. And Kay's another guy. He pitched seven innings tonight, only gave up an earned run and uh, eight punch outs. So he he had a couple of rough patch, uh, rough games, but overall he's been good this year. And he's another guy that I think he's a pretty polished pitcher again. So I think he's another guy that definitely finishes the year in St. Lucie and could even be in double A. So, and done, done well. He, he's, he's been better this year and um, he's, and, I think he'll end up in the season in Binghamton too. So you have three guys right there that are going to be in St. Lucie, uh, Binghamton at the end of the year that, while, like you said, maybe none of those guys are aces, but I mean, you're definitely probably going to find a three in there and maybe a, a four and a five too, which as we've seen with the Mets this year is it's tough to find. And it's something that is a, it's a big need if you want to be a contender. Yeah, you need those guys, even six, seven, eight. I mean, at this point, and uh, you know, the, it's gotten to the point where you you may have to put Seth Lugo in the rotation. Speaking of the bullpen, uh, we we talked about that earlier. They made a number of deals for relievers last year. We saw Jacob uh, uh, Rain uh, so far this year a little bit. Drew Smith is down there. Uh, Ryan Ryder in the lower levels of the minors. Uh, Eric Hanhald uh, is is in Binghamton. Uh, there's some interesting arms um, uh, out of that group. Anybody that could help them now? Uh, is there anybody that's standing out from that group? Because their numbers are generally pretty good out of all those guys. I mean, even Gershon Bostista, we saw a little bit of him. I know he struggled, but you know, obviously he has an electric arm. So uh, the Mets might have a few arms where – the struggles of a Ramos or potentially Lugo going to the rotation. 
as damaging as that is to the bullpen, maybe they could, you know, push one of those guys in. And, you know, are there other names, other bullpen arms in either Vegas or Binghamton that could help immediately that you're looking at? Uh, definitely. Uh, Drew Smith has been throwing the ball very well recently for Vegas, and he's not on the 40-man, but they they give a, a little bit of wiggle room there where they can make a spot if need be. I mean, there's obviously a couple players you could think about designating right now. Um, but Smith, who they got in the Lucas Duda trade, has been pitching very well this year. He had a rough spell to start um, for Vegas, but, I, I mean, that's that's not unheard of. Um, so, I mean, if he's definitely one of the first guys. Uh, I know uh, Tim Peterson's been mentioned recently, uh, another right-handed reliever fifty from the 51s. Uh, he's an older guy. He's been in the system for a while. He, I, Some similarities, I guess, the, you would go to uh, Chase and Bradford, who came up and had some success last year, because Peterson, he, he doesn't throw hard. He's 91-92, um, but he has a good curveball. And keeps the ball down, keeps the ball in the park. Pretty high strikeout rate. Pretty high strikeout rate, too, for that, right? Yeah, yeah. 40 strikeouts and 26 innings this year in the Pacific Coast League for a guy that doesn't throw 95 is extremely impressive, obviously. So I think, I mean, at some point, like Bradford, whether they were ever highly sought of or throw a big fastball, at some point, you you still got to get your look. So I, I think he's a guy that likely gets a look soon. Um, Tyler Bachelor, a hard thrower that we saw a little bit in spring as well. Um, unfortunately, he just went on the DL today, but um, actually talked to him myself, and uh, it seems like it's just a minor issue. So he could be back soon, and he's on the 40-man roster. So he's someone I think we see in the next month or so. Um, and Eric Hanhold that you mentioned, I mean – no one knew much about him at all when the Mets got him for play to be named later in the Neil Walker deal, but I I actually got a chance to see him in person um, last month, and he's impressive. Uh, he's a tall guy, 6'6", throws a sinker. I, the game I was at, they had a sinker a couple of pitches at 97 and had some late movement on it, so and mixes in a slider, he's he got another save for Binghamton today. He's got seven for them with an ERA under three, and he's striking out a ton of guys. So I think he he's a definitely a guy that we could see later this year too from um, those trades last year. You uh, had talked about when we off of the off season, and we talked about last year, there was some concerns about the Mets at various levels and player development, and they shook things up. New AAA manager. I know they were looking at the process up and down the organization. Compare the player development part of the organization this year so far to last year. Uh, have you heard anything? Has there been positive changes? I know Frank Viola's in Binghamton now. Uh, you know what? What do you what do you see? Anything differently, or is that much to do about nothing? No, I think I definitely think there were um, some concerns, is the way I would put it, and uh, I think some of the changes they made between. Tony DeFrancisco coming over from the Astros system to coach AAA, um, Binghamton bringing in a bench coach, um, Lopez going back down to single A. Uh, I I think there has been just a more sound structure this year of kind of keeping some some of the off the field stuff in line and 
some of the even some of the in dugout stuff with some player issues that they've had. A couple of them are no longer in the Mets system, but I I think overall, um, and it, and it and it's shown too. I mean, there's there's been some more, more success this year, but um, I think overall it's just been a better structured system, and uh, I think that'll help. Maybe maybe we don't see it just in the short term. It's tough to see a quick rollover on some stuff like that, but everyone I've talked to, it it seems like it's uh, um, just a better running system overall, and uh, that's obviously good going forward. I know um, Terry Collins has been out watching a bunch of games. He was just down in St. Lucie this week watching Justin Dunn, who we talked about earlier, um, trying to get him to get a look at some of these um minor league arms and so I think I think overall it it's been a much better season in that regard of just um developing the younger guys it's a good role for Terry too you know I wasn't a big fan of Terry especially with his bullpen management as a manager but I think and that's where he was before he was hired to be the Mets manager being that roving minor league guy you know helping the front office and keeping an eye on things. I think that's a good role for Terry. I think he's found a nice little niche, probably where he should have been all along, but I understand that there were other factors there with him becoming the manager, but it seems like he's a big help in that role. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard nothing, nothing but positive from players and uh, other coaches and stuff. I think, I think it's just a natural fit for him. And that was kind of where he was meant to be all along, honestly. So I think, with him, uh, he was with Phil Reagan at the game the other day. I think that's a good spot for those two guys together to kind of just uh, focus on making sure these guys are ready and who gets who comes up that's ready and stuff like that. So yeah, I think I think that was. I know a lot of people kind of scoffed at first that the Mets were keeping him in the organization, but I I I think it was a good idea and ultimately a good fit for him. One of the players recently that has been a positive in the player development of the Mets and, and one of the first Mets draft picks on the Sandy Alderson regime is uh, Brandon Nimmo. And, you know, I've never been a huge fan of Nimmo. I thought he was a guy, especially when he first came up, took too many pitches, was too passive, especially in spots that runners on base. He just, you know, with Jose Fernandez and Corey Sager, you always kept saying, why? Why this guy? Why do they take this project on? But, you know, here he is. I'm not going to get crazy about him having a higher on-base percentage than Mike Trout. That's cute coming into today. But, you know, let's get, let's calm down. But to me, he can be an offensive outfield, outfield version of maybe Ben Zobrist. Is that fair? That kind of player? Is that with that power, the on-base? I mean, old Ben Zobris is versatile, plays a bunch of positions. I'm not saying that Nimmo will do that, but, you know, maybe that's a good comp offensively. And if that's the case, that's a pretty solid player at the top of your lineup. And, uh, you know, he might even be a bigger on-base machine than Ben Zobris. He's a guy that could be a 42, 43% on-base guy and, and constantly be a positive, even when he's not hitting. Yeah, I, uh, when I'm not a comp guy I try to stay away from that but one guy I always mentioned with Nimmo was Nick Markagas and um, that just seemed like a natural fit for me as a guy who 
gets on base, isn't a big home run guy, but still put up a lot of doubles and had decent speed. So I think I think that's the type the type of player that Nimmo definitely can be. And Marquegas has been valuable for a bunch of years for a bunch of teams. So I think I think Nimmo is is pretty obviously you're leading the Mets offense right now. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. He's the best offensive player. Um, and they're going to have to find a way. There's there's no way you can take him out of the lineup right now. And uh, getting back to him being the first pick of the Sandy Alderson, Alderson regime is interesting because people people labeled him as a bust before he even got to the major leagues. They're calling Alder, a lot of people are calling Alderson and his group. Um, Chad McDonald, the guy, one of the guys that had a lot to do with Nimmo coming to the Mets, calling him crazy for drafting a kid that didn't even play high school baseball. So I think, I think now's the time you kind of have to give McDonald, uh, Alderson, and the Mets scouting department as well as player development uh, to pushing a guy like this through the minor leagues all that time and turning him into a so far, he's been a very solid offensive player, and even this year, he's looked better defensively in the outfield. Um, he's a key cog for this team right now, and it'll be interesting to see uh, when Cespedes comes back exactly what they do. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, That'll be interesting, and I mean, it puts a situation where Jay Bruce uh, has not been uh, at all uh, the Jay Bruce that you thought you were getting, he might be going to the bench. And, and in some ways I know that this is crazy. Uh, you and I talking about this, Adrian Gonzalez right now might be a better offensive player than Bruce. Uh, I'm not saying that'll, that'll last the whole year. I mean, they have, that's the thing about the Mets. They have a lot of players that, you know, they have this quote unquote depth, but nobody's really living up to their career norms. That's the frustrating part. I mean, even if they were at their lower end of their career norms, it would make a big difference. Everybody's at some place significantly below that includes Conforto, what their career norm would be. And from what it sounds like, you know, you don't have a ton of help now on the way that could help you in the next couple of weeks, but it's not as, and I guess this is where I'm going as we get to the the, the back half of this uh, segment. It's not this desolate, you know, situation where it's, you got to tear it down. There's nothing here. And, and rip it down to the studs. I mean, I, I think there's still stuff here with obviously free agent investment, trade, things like that, that this could be a team that at least can be competitive and, and compete for, you know, I think a second wild card in the next couple of years. I don't I don't see it as a team that's going to be completely barren. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think um, coming into this year, I know a lot of people are down in the system that a lot of places had them ranked um, anywhere from like 25th to 28th. And I mean that was fair given what uh, what they had in the system and who uh, were prospects. But also, like I said before, it kind of depended on before the season. I said that it depends on what Peterson, Kay, Dunn, um, guys like that do. And all three of those guys have pitched well enough to give um, just in prospect break rankings. Um, the Mets a pretty significant boost. And I mean Alonzo breaking out. Um, he was highly, I mean, he was highly regarded, but not anywhere near the sense that he is now. And um, Jimenez is definitely a top 100 guy now. 
They have the sixth, the sixth overall pick in a couple of weeks. They signed two of the top international free agents last year. So, I mean, this is, this is a system that I would guess is probably like 20, 21, 22 in that range now. And it, it can get better with a good pick and some of the, the two uh, um, international free agent guys playing this year. Um, they're also lined up to sign two more top international guys this year. And then to, to get to the point, uh, Nimmo, he's a young co- uh, cornerstone guy. Rosario, I know he's had you some think that highly in Nimmo. You, you think Nimmo's a keeper? You think you don't think he's just a component player? You think he could be a, a cornerstone guy for this offense? I think for me now, and I've I've been kind of a guy that's been weary of him too because of his lack of power slash does he fit in center field defensively? I think I think at this point he's proven that he's a major league starting outfielder. That's obviously a big, a big key uh, and a leadoff guy. I mean, that's, that's something the Mets have been searching for, for a long time. I mean, Granderson had his periods there, but that wasn't exactly, it wasn't exactly a perfect fit for him. I think Nimmo is the perfect fit for the Mets as a leadoff hitter for the next, however, four, five, six, seven, how many every years, I think that's his spot now. And, uh, that that brings you to what you were kind of talking about with the Bruce dilemma. Um, he's just, he's just not he's wor- he's been much worse offensively than Adrian Gonzalez, which is uh, scary to think about. And Conforto's now homered uh, in two straight games, so Conforto's waking up, Nimmo's playing well, and Cespedes comes back. I mean, yeah, Bruce is on the bench. The other op- Bruce is on the bench. Yeah, yeah. Well. The, the other option was putting Bruce at first, but how can you play Bruce at first over Gonzalez now? Because he's obviously yeah, he a downgrade defensively. Right. So you would need him to be better offensively, and he hasn't been. So I, I, I don't. Right. Obviously, he's he's got a bunch of time left on his deal that he just signed, but in say three weeks from now, when Cespedes is back and the Mets are still three games out of playoff spot. He, how much can you worry about contracts then and ignore putting the better players on the field? Funny, we went through this segment. We haven't mentioned Dom Smith at all. Dom Smith played a little outfield last week. He had a a couple at-bats and looked putrid, but only a couple at-bats in in Philadelphia. One at-bat maybe it was, whatever whatever he's got. Um, I don't know. Is that that more us just like looking, overlooking him because of Alonzo? Is, I, you know... I, I ne- wasn't overly impressed last year. He's lost a ton of weight. I mean, I could, I was amazed when I saw him in Philadelphia. Uh, what about Thompson? Yeah, what I, do we have left there? I, it's, it's, it's a conundrum. It's tough because, like you said, I mean, he looked great in spring, and then watching him in Vegas this year. I mean, everyone, the whispers are always like, well, because he's had a couple of years where he came in and looked good in spring. He's just going to gain it back during the year. He's going to gain it back during the year. Um, and he didn't. He, he's, lo- he's lost more weight. I mean, he, he looks fantastic. I mean, fantastic enough that um, with the Mets losing some outfield depth that they put him in the outfield, then he's uh, – I mean, it, it's tough in a small game span to get a good level of a guy, especially uh, 
the triple a cameras are awful to watch the games in the minors, but, um, he looked okay. I mean, he hasn't had any Daniel Murphy, Lucas Duda type plays out in the outfield yet. And he's got a, he's, he's got a good arm. He pitched in high school. He, he actually did play some right field in high school. So it's, it's not a completely new position for him. So he does have some experience there. Um, and he's walking more this year. He's walking a ton this year, but now the now the power's gone. So it's it's what do you what do you do with the first? We're back to Dom Smith without the power. He had the power and before, that's not so a good, I think. Yeah, that's not a good place to be for him. Dom Smith without no, the power. No, and it's not. I mean, so I mean, your th- your thing is he obviously changed his approach to. Um, not be so aggressive at the plate. He's taking some more pitches. He's walking more, which he didn't walk much last year. So him walking more is a good thing. But now we're falling into is the lack of power. Is that just him taking too many pitches? Or is that him losing too much weight uh, behind behind the ball? Um, I think you kind of have to give it more time with him. And now you're putting him in the outfield. So that's something new for him too. So it's he's got a lot going on for a, a kid that we we found out with him being late to a, a meeting, and we found out that wasn't the first time he had done it a couple times last year. So we found out that there's some maturity things there too. So that's I mean he's still a young kid. He's still only 22, 23. So that's a lot to put on a kid. Um, but ultimately, I think we're getting to the point where the Mets have to make a decision. Um, they have to make a decision between him and Alonzo. If the Mets are buyers at the deadline, you Alonzo and Smith, you, you can't have both of them. You just can't. They're two first basemen that are close to the major leagues, so you got to kind of choose one. And just like they I did with Ike Davis and uh, Duda, you have to choose one. Yep, they chose Duda. Yep, and they I, chose right. And I, and I think at this point you have to choose. Obviously, that was done after getting to see both at the major league level, but I think I don't, I don't think you can wait in this scenario um, just because I think now would be the time, even if his num- power numbers are down a little bit with Smith, if you decide to trade him, I think now's the time with him. Teams would have to be um, somewhat happy to see that he's stayed in fantastic shape, so that might prop up his value a little bit. So I think... If I'm Alderson and we're buying at the deadline, Smith to me is on the chopping block. He's someone that I would be willing to deal. Last thing, Michael, you mentioned Mickey Calloway's handling the bullpen. I really have not been bothered by Calloway. Uh, I mean, again, we're eight weeks in, ten weeks into. I mean, if you don't count spring training into his tenure as manager, I think he does a better job than Terry Collins. That's not a high bar. Uh, I think he, the, the way that Gazelman and Lugo have been, you know, matriculated into that position, I think that uh, – I don't know if that would have happened under Terry Collins and Dan Worthen, and they certainly have had success. Uh, I know that, you know, there's been some struggles with A.J. Ramos, and, and there's been some questions about the use of Blevins, but Blevins hasn't been good. Uh, I'm not really overly bothered by Callaway. I'm not saying that I agreed with everything. But I don't see anything that's egregious, and the things that have blown up in his face, you can make arguments against one way or the other. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it's tough. Let's 
we can use last night, for example, when he took out uh, Gazelman to bring in Blevins and then ultimately took out Blevins to bring in Ramos. Historically, that's not a bad move. Neither of those right. are bad moves. For Blevins to come in and get that lefty and then for him to fail, then you bring in Ramos, the former closer, former late-inning guy for the Marlins, who that's the reason you got him. So historically, it's not as bad, but then you look at this year, and Gazelman's been one of the best, Mets' best relievers. Levins has struggled considerably against lefties, and Ramos has just struggled um, overall. So I think, I think that's the type of situation where he should have trusted Gazelman and went with him. And I was kind of surprised that he didn't, given the trust that he has put in him and Lugo this year. Um, so that, that's a tough one to go strongly on either side, I think. I think I would have stuck with Gazelman, and that's ultimately what he should have done. But Blevins is also – that's the reason Blevins is on this team, and Blevins has been very good at doing that exact thing and getting the lefties out. Um so, so it's, he, Blevins and Ramos have kind of put Callaway in a tight spot because both of them guys were supposed to be integral parts of the bullpen, and they just haven't pitched like it. So that that puts the manager into a tougher spot when it comes to making those type of decisions in the bullpen. Um, still, there's a couple other ones that I don't understand. Um, using Lugo for a couple innings and a blowout last week, um, not getting flexing in an inning in the last week or so. Um, Oswalt was here for a while and didn't get into a game, but warmed up a couple of times. A um, couple of things like that, that I think in the bullpen that he could have let Lugo just sit out a couple of games or get some other guys an inning here or there to kind of bring down the workload in Lugo and Gazelman. So basically, a little bit of a learning curve on that point. I could I could understand that. Well, yeah, hey, so, and, and go ahead. I'm sorry. And th- there's going there's going to be a learning curve with Callaway. I know we all a bunch of most of us fell in love with him just for his simple demeanor and the things that he said um, during spring, and which is fine and good. But there is he's I mean. He has little to know it manager managerial experience, so there there's going to be a learning curve for him, and uh, unfortunately we're seeing that a little bit. But I I still think in the long run that the Mets made the the might the right move in bringing him in, and uh, we're just going to have to go through some growing pains in the time being. Well, absolutely, Michael. So what do you have coming up? Uh, what's going on? I know you're on Mets Marized Online, Mets Miners. The draft is coming up. That's a big thing. You know, a lot of rumors right now. I don't really look at the mocks because I don't think anybody really knows um, um, exactly what these teams are going to do. Uh, what do you got coming up over the next couple of weeks for the listeners to uh, to follow and, and get used to? Definitely the, the draft. Um, Mets being at the sixth pick is obviously a big deal. Uh, got a chance to get some elite talent there and the one name that seems to be coming up for a lot of people is a uh, Florida third baseman, another Florida first round uh, high pick. That's uh, where Alonzo, where they took Alonzo. Um, Jonathan India, third baseman from Florida. I, I mean, like you said, it's 
you can't put a whole lot of stock in the mocks, but just just about all of them have him as if not going there a top option and he's I watched him play the other day and uh athletic third baseman with power hits for average gets on base even he's got like 11 steals this year too um made a couple of terrific plays over at third there's even talk that he he can play shortstop a little bit he can play second if you need to put him over there but um really like him and Travis Swaggerty, uh outfielder from South Alabama is another one they talked about. I just know um, that they're going to look for a college hitter. That's a good athlete. I, th- I think that's what they're focusing on right now. And uh, between India and Swaggerty, I think they have two pretty good options there and uh, it'll be exciting to, to see just who they end up with. Absolutely. Well, listen, you generous your time. Always enjoy catching up. That's our first checkpoint of the minor league season. And I know we'll uh, chat again as the year goes on. Be well, my friend, okay? Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And that's Michael Mayer. Always enjoy catching up with him and uh, hope hope you enjoyed it. And some interesting stuff there. And, and like I said, I, I, I think looking at the, the biggest thing that concerns me in the near term, and it'll be interesting how some of these young pitchers that we named, who I don't think are going to help this year, is how are the Mets doing on the developmental portion? Because not everybody you draft, no one you draft really is a finished product. And when you see teams like the Yankees and, and even the Cubs and and the, what the Braves are doing, the Braves are also importing players from other organizations and bringing them here. You, you, know, you saw that with a couple of relievers like a Carl and things like that. And, and they're doing well. Is How is your player development? How is that? And I think that's important at the big league level. That's why you have Island and Callaway there. And I know they shuffled the minor league levels a little bit. How is that? Because if you don't develop these guys, you, you run into situations like the Mets have where, to be frank, the depth of starting pitching is a big problem. It's a problem already at the big league level. On a normal five-man rotation basis, it's going to be even worse when you know they dive into six, seven, eight. Uh, because Gazelman and Lugo, who were their sixes and sevens, and good ones are now really necessary components of the bullpen. So anyway, interesting stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. Of course, uh, I'll be back next week. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Enjoy your week back to work after a long holiday weekend. want to thank Michael Mayer. want to thank the good folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Of course, you can check me out on iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Also, check me out over at The Grueling Truth, part of the iHeart Media Network. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Tweet me at, at Mike Silva Media if you want to chat about the Mets this week. As always, till next time, take care.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.